Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode. As always, thank you so much for your support, whatever platform you're listening to us on, wherever in the world that you are listening to us from. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your continued support and for sharing the podcast to those around you as well. Today's topic is going to be one that was requested by a few people, which is about playing fast on both ends of the court. A lot of us as coaches really like the idea of playing up-tempo, playing fast on both ends, but also have to balance with making sure that we're still executing and not being sloppy and still maintaining that pace of play for the whole duration of the game. So we're going to get into what it's like to play fast on both ends, how to keep things under control, how to stay sharp both physically and mentally, and hopefully help you, the listener, give you some tips and tricks to keep your players playing fast and engaged the whole game. So my guest to help discuss this topic with me is the River Ridge head girls basketball coach. I'm very happy to be joined by coach Jason Taylor. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Really looking forward to getting into this one. So coach, let's go ahead and get started with your coaching journey, your basketball journey. Where is the game taking you? Where's your coaching journey taking you and how did you end up at River Ridge? Uh, well, I mean, I guess I'm my story is kind of like a lot of other people. I've played basketball since I was, you know, as long as I could remember. Played middle school, played high school. Um, I wasn't the best player. I wasn't very good, but mm-hmm. um, and and again was always on. Felt like on some pretty good teams, surrounded by some really talented kids. But uh, I grew up in Kentucky, so basketball is just sort of that's the culture in that state. Everybody loves it, and you grow up a big blue fan. And you know, uh, I moved to Woodstock, Georgia, in 2004 um, as my first real teaching job, and uh, there when I got introduced in the faculty meeting, the principal said, you know, introduced who I was and told where I was from, and. It wasn't two hours later, the, the head girls basketball coach came by and asked if I'd be interested in helping. He said, you know, you're from Kentucky, so <laughs> basketball's in your blood, right? And I was like, you you better believe it is. And uh, <laughs> so that's uh, I, I coached there for five years. Um, and as soon as River Ridge opened up, it opened up in 2009 as a brand new school. Uh, I interviewed for the job and, you know, was fortunate enough to get the job. And uh, so the rest has been kind of history from there. So have you been the coach at River Ridge ever since the school first opened? Yeah, I've been the only girls coach, uh, you know, for the duration. We've we've won three region championships in the time we've been there, or the time that I've been there. Um, and just you know, been really fortunate to have really supportive principals along the way. Uh, we're on our third principal, um, fourth athletic director. So, you know, schools changed over administration a few times, but I've uh, been really fortunate. We've had successful programs and I've been able to keep keep that job there. So I have to ask, even before you get into my first set of questions, what is what is that like being the first uh, coach at a school that just opened? How did you kind of go about just even getting things going and getting things started? Because you're literally starting from scratch when the school just, just kind of opens like that. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was different. I mean, you know, you, you don't have chairs, you don't have scores table, <laughs> you don't have brain to operate the score clocks. You know, all that stuff had to be ordered. Didn't have basketballs, didn't have a rack to put the basketballs in, didn't have uniforms. Uh, so just from the administration or administrative side of it, it was just everything that you could think of that you need, you had to prioritize that list. Do you need shooting guns? Of course you do, but, you know, do you got the ten, twelve thousand $12,000 to go buy shooting guns right now? Nope. <laughs> so those are going to have to be on hold. Yeah. Uh, so just understanding the, you know, the basic, what do you need? What, what do you need to get started? And it's as simple as just having some practice gear, having uniforms for the games and, and basketballs, and you're ready to go. Um, they provided us with a beautiful facility. Um, but like I said, all the other stuff we, you know, Got, we need chairs. We got to have somewhere to sit during the game. You know, it's just getting the little stuff together. And uh, the guys, coach and I worked really well together. Um, he's since retired and, and, and joined that retirement life. But um, it's it, it was interesting. And again, we started our very first year with nothing but freshmen. I had six girls for a oh, team. Wow. We, we started off playing a JV schedule. Uh, they allowed us, the county did, to pull up uh, some eighth graders. So I pulled up four eighth graders. So I had a total of 10 kids. Um, and we played just a JV schedule that first year, with the exception of we played four varsity games. And in those, I couldn't use the eighth graders. So I had a team of six to have to, you know, we went and played in a new school Christmas tournament. You know, those new schools opened up with freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. We were the only ones that just had freshmen out there. And uh, we went one and two in that Christmas tournament. Uh, you know, that was where I had my first real reality check. You know, <laughs> You know, when I had all 10 kids, you know, I like to press. We like to play fast. Yeah. And I thought we could go out there with the six that I had and we could continue to do that. And we had a league going into the fourth quarter. We were doing that and then really hit that wall early in the fourth uh -huh. quarter. And the other team came back on us and we ended up losing by 10 or 12 points and realized, you know, you got to learn to manage stuff better. And yeah. The next game we played zone, which we never play zone. And everybody was able to stay on the floor, and we won our next game. Had the legs to play in the fourth quarter, and then the last game we played, we lost in overtime with three kids left on the floor. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, no, that's 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 a great story and such a unique circumstance and unique situation to be put in uh, for sure. That's uh, will definitely help you grow as a coach and learn as a coach. Kind of going for those experiences, that's for sure. And uh, before we get into our topic, the other question I wanted to ask, and this is personal to me because this applies to me as well, is I want to get your insight on, on being a male who is a girls basketball coach. Uh, was, was there an adjustment period for you? Is there, there things that you thought might have been a big deal that didn't end up being a big deal? Can you just kind of talk about what your experience has been like uh, being in that situation? Yeah, I mean, like I said, when I first got to Woodstock in 2004, um, it was my first experience being a coach, really. Mm -hmm. um, and and I was recruited by the girls' coach to be on their staff. And so the only experience I've had is with coaching girls. So as far yeah. as, you know, my demeanor and, and the way I coach my players, it's always been the same. Um, and again, I think that all comes from, as a coach, you got to develop a relationship with your players and and learn what they respond to. But um, as far as the other, you know, the biggest concern always as a male coach is, is the locker room, you know, yeah. don't, you know, don't ever want to walk in that locker room without beating on the door and yelling at first, <laughs> you know, Hey, everybody dressed. All right, we're good. Let's go. Um, you know, so that, that's always been the, the, you know, to me, what I thought would be the scariest thing. And, you know, it just becomes second nature is always 
knock and yell first and you don't have any issues. But as far as coaching, you know, I, I don't think I would coach guys any different than I would coach girls. You know, I, I'm not drawing up alley-oop plays for girls, but I am drawing the same back picks and we're hitting layups. So I, I don't think X's and O's would have been different. I don't think the, the way I treat my players, you know, would have been any different, you know. So I've, I've not really had a tough time adjusting to it because, like I said, it's, it's all yeah. I've ever really done right. in the last 18 years. Right, and I think that that's kind of the delicate balance that sometimes uh, coaches in that situation, even like myself, is is – you know, we think sometimes, is it going to be any different? Is there going to be anything weird? But then it, it's it's still basketball, and you're still coaching basketball. You still have high expectations. Like you said, maybe not drawing up those alley-oop plays, but like you said, some of the other just basic fundamentals and, and basic skills and stuff you're working in, you could do regardless of whatever gender it is that you end up coaching. So uh, exactly. I, I like the way you put that. All righty, Coach. So uh, as we talked about, we're going to get into what it's like playing fast on both ends. So let's kind of talk about, what led to this? What 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 did you see that led to you wanting to be playing fast, going up and down on both ends? And then schematically, what is it that you like to do offensively and defensively that sort of goes along with uh, being able to play fast? Well, I think, I mean, I, I think it's just exciting basketball. I think the kids, mm -hmm. kid, that's the way they want to play. They, they want to get up and down the court. I mean, when you watch the college game, they're up and down the court. You watch the WNBA, they're up and down the court. You know, you go watch these kids in their AAU tournaments and they play up and down the court and you're like, that's how they want to play. So I think there's, uh, you know, a time to, to slow it down and to, you know, you're up six with two minutes to go. Listen, it's time to put the brakes on just a little bit. And that's actually where we struggle a little bit mm. um, is learning to slow it down. But um, I mean, it's just it's just a fast game. And I think if you got the athletes and right now I currently have a team that is it, it's loaded with athletes and, and it allows you to 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 go and play the play that kind of basketball game you know I've had teams in the past where we, we couldn't play as fast as we want to play you know and we still run into teams now that you know guys we we just can't press them their guards are going to eat our press alive and they're going to score the way we like to score which is easy baskets and you know we just got to get back and play defense and and even then, when you're just getting back and playing defense, we're still going to get up in their face and force them to try to make mistakes. But it's you know, we're we're a team that our off our defensive philosophy is if they miss the shot, we're picking up right now, like full 94 feet. They miss a shot, we're we're going to get after them right now and start to try to deny passes and just make it hard to get the ball off the floor. You know, if, if that ball goes in the net, we get a chance to set up in our zone press. We're going to do that and. We play our zone press until they're inside the three-point line, and then we pick back up man-to-man. -man. We transition pretty good from our zone press into man. Uh, you know, and we have a really lengthy team. You know, oh, that's six good. 6'2", six, six foot, six foot. You know, we got three kids that are on the verge of, you know, like 6'1", or bigger. And, you know, we rotate through our posts, and they defend the paint really well. And, you know, they – they know we got the guards to, to you know, the guards are going to shoot the ball and let it fly. They, they rebound so well. We're a great rebounding team, which allows us to play quick. You know, you got the green light as long as you got a rebounder. Yeah. I mean, that's a rule we play by. The kids just know the rules that we play by offensively. As And that's one of the things you ask is, you know, I tell my kids when the ball is in your hand, and this doesn't matter if you're the best player on the team or, you know, you're the worst player on the team, you're still – 
on a really good team, and there's a reason that you're there. When the ball is in your hands, your job is to score the basketball. And that's the way my kids play. Now, it doesn't necessarily always mean in take a shot, one pass, and shoot it. You know, if you know you're only a 20% three-point shooter and that's where that ball hits you in the hands, that might not be the best way to score the basketball. You know, you may be looking to drive or dump it inside the post player for an easy, you know, basket around the rim. So it's it's about playing fast, but it's also about playing smart and knowing your limitations as a player. And, you know, they get all those reps in practice. Everybody gets those reps in practice. Mm -hmm. And our practices is, you know, this past season – uh, they in Georgia, they, it was a realignment year, so we moved into a new region, and the region we were in wasn't as strong as the region we had just came out of. And you know, we ended up we lost our first region game, which we had a couple of kids out with COVID. We lost by like five or six. Same team later in the season, we beat by twenty something when I had a full yeah. squad. So I mean, we we had a really good team last year. We're bringing back pretty much the same exact kids. We we graduated a few, but the kids we're bringing in are just as talented. And, you know, hopefully we're going to be able to pick up and just continue the pace. Like I said, it's balls in your hands, score the basketball or get it to where it can be scored. Um, and, and again, we run a, a just a simple transition fast break where, again, we're looking to push ahead. You know, this summer we played with, there's a couple games where we played the summer with shot clocks. And, you know, I think it was within 10 seconds of every shot clock we had already had a shot up. Yeah. And that old offensive, Suns. <laughs> offensive rebounds and putbacks. And, you know, we we're not the greatest shooting team by any means. Um, I mean, if if we shot 40% for a game last year, I consider that a good game. And we averaged typically in the 70s when we shot 40%. But mm -hmm. when we had games where we did not shoot well, um, we would score in the 50s still. But, you know, we were able to beat people because we out rebounded them by 20 rebounds in a game. You know, and and, that, and that's the, that's the thing. Just you got to have the athletes in order to to play that up tempo, because like I said, I had teams in the past where we weren't as up tempo as we are now, but we were still able to manage 45, 50 points a game, playing slow, controlled, and playing really good team basketball. Which I think even playing fast, we we play good team basketball. We average about eight assists a game or more. Right. You know, that's uh, not. A great number, but it's <laughs> when your assists are more than your turnovers, that's what you're looking for. Absolutely. And you mentioned about the the player's mentality of if they're not going to score, get the ball to somebody you can. So, like, they have that mindset that it's either going to be them or they're going to need to get the ball in the right position and, and make something happen. Um, so I, I feel like that selflessness is still there. They're, they're definitely not playing selfish, that's for sure. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, getting out in transition. So that, that was a point that you brought up a couple times that I wanted to specifically address. So off, off a missed shot, and what is the ideal, I, I guess, if, if time is the best way to measure this, like time where our transition offense needs to be executing this by this amount of time, otherwise uh, the transition opportunity is over and, and now we just got to get into our half court. What does that sort of look like for you getting out in transition? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a typical transition. We run the two guards to the corners, opposite corners of each other. We got one post runner rim running. We got the other post player trailing the play and whichever guard has gotten the outlet pass should be in the middle of the floor looking to hit that wing as quick as possible. So, I mean, it's just, it's a typical fast break. And 
that wing that we're hitting, I mean, when you're the guard that catches the ball and you turn, you got a split second to see the two guards that are running out ahead of you. You know, sometimes that decision's easy if, you know, the, one of the guards is outrunning the other. You, you see who's ahead, that's who you're hitting. Um, but, you know, then knowing your players as well as, like, if they're both even, which one's which one has the better skill? Which mm-hmm. one's going to be able to score easier? And and the kids know that. The kids know, you know what each other's abilities are. But we looked at throw it out ahead. And like I said, if that post player's done their job and they're rim running and you got somebody trailing for a rebound and you're open, let it fly. I mean, that that's our one pass and let it fly is if you got rebounders. Or if, you know, defense is playing tight on you and you can take them one-on-one before everybody gets there, that's still your option to go. Or if that post player's done their job and you see their numbers, you feed the post. I mean, it's a, it's a numbers game. When you're inside the paint and you score about 60 to 70% inside the paint, that's your highest percentage shot on mm-hmm. the floor. Get the ball in the highest percentage areas. You know, as a team last year, I think we shot around 30% from three. So the numbers are better if you can get yeah. it inside. Or if you shoot that three and miss, you got the rebounders that are going to be able to put it right back. And uh, so that's what we look for initially on our break. And if we don't get it, reversing the ball back to the point guard. Again, point guard, ball's in their hands. You know, they started that break. They trailed to that side where they pushed the ball. Ball's back in their hands. Can you take your girl one-on-one right now? And if you can take your girl one-on-one driving opposite of the post, you draw their help, give the post, you score. Again, high percentage shots. Our point guard this year is our, probably our best player. You know, she shoots about 40% from the three, or at least she did this summer. She got that look, take it. And, again, if not, you don't have those options that are Ding you up, kick it to the trailer. Um, one thing we have here in our four this year, we six-foot freshman coming in lefty that can flat-out light it up. And the, <laughs> the other four we play nice <laughs> she, her whole life, grew up playing a guard. Uh, last year trained solely as a post player because she knew it was just a log jam in front of her at the guard position. She wanted to be on the floor, so she trained to be a post player. It's about 5'8", strong kid, great leader. Um, but, again, she's got those guard skills. So depending on which one's in the game, again, you got a trailer that's ready to knock down a three or they can penetrate. If not, they dribble into a handoff and we got pick and roll basketball or, like I said, defense is playing behind, you know to step back and shoot a three. Defense went under the screen, shoot three. And again, all my players, that, that's pretty much as much basic as our fast break gets. It looks at just the simplest options. It doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. Simple, simple options. And if, you know, we don't get that dribble handoff, they're getting the ball back to the point guard, and then she can call up a half-court set. And again, our half-court set, we typically run the horns offense. You know, either using the post players for a screen and rolling with them or, you know, getting the ball on down the corner and running a true horn set and letting them come off those that double screen and try to score. But, again, we're always looking to be in attack mode. I wanted to ask, you brought it up a couple times about the opportunities that are afforded to you because of, of the rebounding that, that you have and the rebounding that, that that's available to, to help uh, – around the rim how much do you attribute the the rebounding success you've had to uh the players uh i suppose athleticism or some of their more physical gifts versus uh actual like coaching points or things that you like emphasize what's the balance or that you would give or the percentage perhaps that you would give to to the success that you've had with rebounding 
I, I mean, honestly, I would say it's probably 75% their just raw natural skill size. Like, our mm -hmm. post players, uh, you know, six two, six one, six foot. Yeah. I mean, they're, I mean, you know, I didn't bless them with that ability. <laughs> you know, that that's just the, you know, God-given natural right there. And, but every day in practice, uh, you know, I got a great coach, uh, assistant coach, Barry Lakes. He works with our post players every day. When I was at Woodstock, his kids were coming through Woodstock, and I got a chance to coach them up a little bit when they were there. But he's been a former head coach, and um, his youngest daughter actually went and played at uh, College Charleston, again, post players. And he's he's worked with our post every day. We start every practice with either just depending on how what part of the season, either 30 minutes early season or 20 minutes later in the season that we just do, we break it up guards on one end, post on the other. And, you know, he, he's working with them on their post moves. He's working with them on rebounding, mm -hmm. um, you know, which way, you know, you got the ball, chin and outlet, you know, spinning out away from the paint. I mean, it's basic basketball, but again, we work with them every day. Um, right now, one day a week, they're coming in four post players at a time and, we get our four-on-one workouts in, and he's there working with them in the mornings um, in the preseason. So we coach them up to do what they do, but, again, their natural ability yeah. is, is is there as well. Being six foot and, and having a couple six-footers certainly doesn't hurt when it comes to trying to get boards, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on the uh, defensive side, uh, you talked a little bit about the, the zone press that you like to implement. When it's being run at its most effective, is it um, – are, are you able to get turnovers off it? Does it just get the team out of their rhythm and, and force them to work into getting into their half-court set? What is your goals and, and mentality that you have in terms of that zone press that you're running being successful? Well, the majority of the game, it's, it's, it's not turning the ball over and it's not creating 10 counts. Um, though we averaged, I think, two 10 counts a game this year. Um, so, mm -hmm. I mean, we yeah. make it difficult for them to get the ball across half court. And it's just a when you're facing that much pressure coming down the floor, typically teams tend to rush. Like, all right, we finally got it by. Let's go get what we can before they get. And that's the whole purpose of a press, I feel, is to yep. speed, speed somebody up, up yep. speed them up, make them make bad decisions, take that what they think is the best shot that they're going to get real quick. and you know, rebound it and take off the other way. Um, and we were really successful with that this year. Um, you know, the games we slowed down the most are when teams press us. You know, a pressing team does not like to be pressed. And any coach that says otherwise, they're a liar. You don't ever want to be pressed because it, it does. It speeds you up. But if you got the layups and you got the open looks, you, you go get them. But if not, that's that's the one time that we actually slow down a little bit to make sure we got everybody, and then we go attack. Um, don't let don't let the press speed us up. That, that's our philosophy too. And before before I, I forget, I wanted to to talk a little bit really quickly about your your half court. I think you mentioned how you like to run man to man. Do you feel that your man to man defense that you run is is, is really solid to the point where teams want to just get that first? good look that they can if they break their press because they know if they have to play you in that half court man-to-man -man that it's going to be that much more difficult. Do you feel like they, they feel that way about playing against your defense in the half court? I mean, maybe they do. Um, and again, if you can, if you got numbers and you can get that advantage, you got to take advantage of it. But 
you know, a lot of the times, like I said, we're trans, we, we are, we're fast. Like even our post players, they're fast. Um, like the, we had a freshman last year. She mm -hmm. came in, like I said, she's the six footer, um, had 300 rebounds as a freshman, but she is long and lanky and athletic as can be. So she's up top, six footers on the top of the press. Like when you're inbounding the ball, she's one of the ones coming to trap you. Uh, and when we get into that half court, you know, I got two six footers sitting in there to defend the paint, like nobody's business. They are great. It allows our guards to be like up in your grill. You don't get an easy possession. And, and that's just the way we play defense. So, I mean, our guards are going to get beat off the dribble every once in a while. But there's posts yeah. that are there to to take away that middle and be in help, and we rotate really well and help defense, and so it, it allows us to to play like that. And I and I think teams, I guess you know, if, if they can get if they can break it and they can get something easy, then or at least what they think is easy, then maybe that is why they go quick. Yeah. I don't know. What you've just we've just kind of talked about about you know the ideas of getting on transition and pressing and, and moving. You talked about even when you had the little shot clock, how quickly you're getting shots up. One of the concerns I'm, I'm sure many coaches have with that is is keeping things under control and still playing with discipline and playing the right way. So, how have you been able to? kind of help keep your girls under control and stay focused so that they're not making sloppy mistakes and getting to the point where they're playing like out of control, whether it's on offense or defense? I, I think it starts in practice. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I'm not asking these kids to go out there and do things that they've not worked on. Yeah. And we work on it daily. Like I said, we break guards and posts and, you know, while posts are down there doing their thing, you know, I got another great coach and they're working with guards that, you know, we're working coming off the, the screens and, you know, reading defenses and stepping back. And yeah, I think when kids, you know, again, they, they practice it, repetition, 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 it just becomes second nature. And when you see it in practice, you know who should be taking shots and you know who shouldn't be taking the shots. And like, <laughs> you've never, you've never made that shot in practice. Why do you think it's going to go in the game? That's not the one that you need to be taking. You know, and, and getting kids to understand that role and be comfortable with different roles on the team, um, I think, is a big part of it. Because, like I said, the ball's in your hands. You know, I had this conversation with some, you know, one of my players just the other day watching her in the fall league. Got, you know, the dribble penetration, drew the help defense. They kicked her. She's wide open for a three. And I swear, I think she's the best shooter on the team. It's a pretty mm -hmm. shot. It goes in in practice all the time. And she doesn't shoot it. She hesitates. Defense comes out at her. She drives and shoots a lower percentage. <laughs> lower. I mean, again, yeah. she's trying to get to the paint. Yeah. But for her, it's a lower percentage shot, and she misses. And I'm having that conversation with her after she played. You know, the next day in the weight room, I was like, "Listen, you're you're a better shooter than you are a driver. You realize that, right?" And she's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Well, why aren't you shooting the ball? Because if you ain't going to shoot the ball, I'm not going to put you in in a situation to even give you that shot." You got to do your job. You got to know your role. Your role is to right now is that shooter until you, you know, get that drive a little bit better. So when they kicked you and you're open, that person, their job was to score the basketball. And they just put it in what they thought was the best situation to score, which was you wide open for a three because they've seen you make hundreds of those in practice. Why aren't you shooting it? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so you, you got to get them disciplined on what their roles are and what they're supposed to do. 
Um, and like I said, I think that just comes with repetition and practice. And we do a lot of things in practice that um, simulate how we play in the game. And, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask about the kind of the pace of your practice and what, what that sort of looks like in, in terms of the, I don't know, is it the intensity level or just like maybe how quickly you transition for things. What's kind of the pace of your practices that, and how does that like kind of help translate to uh, the pace of play during a game? Well, uh, like I said, it's just a few things that we do at practice that, that's just routine for us. Like I said, we, we break up in the into those individual sessions for the mm -hmm. first yeah. 20, 30 minutes. But the next thing we do, we come back together, and, and I call the drill perfection. But it's a four-corner shooting, but sort of a three-man weave hybrid kind of thing. Like the person in the middle like, gets the rebound, and then you have one wing that's running long and you got one that's going to be running a shorter route coming across the middle of the or the court. So you hit the outlet in the middle, they hit a head for the layup. I mean, that simulates what we're okay. really looking to do in our offense. And then those two girls that made the passes, they are then filling, coming down, catching balls from the other corners to make jump shots. The person that took the layup gets the ball out and is now outletting it to the passers that are throwing for the shots, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, so we run that drill for like six minutes. Um, and, again, it's a conditioning thing, but it's also, you know, the things we do, catch and shoot and, you know, finishing, looking long and finishing for layups. And we set goals, and if they don't get the, you know, you don't score – you know, we keep track of how many points they're making. They got a couple of good managers, and they're over there every time the ball goes in. They're adding the scores. Yeah, it's you know, good. Yeah, and we set a goal, and if they don't get the goal, that's that's where we'll do a little extra running. Um, I'm a coach that doesn't believe in running without a purpose, and I don't think running for conditioning at the end of practice has any purpose. I mean, some coaches do. I don't. Mm -hmm. My kids probably love that because they never run a suicide or gut drill, whatever you want to call them, at the end <laughs> of practice. We just don't do them. We don't line up and shoot free throws until, you know, if they make one, you you got down and back. If they make both, go into the next shooter. We don't we do not do that. We get all yeah. of our running done in practice with our drills, and by the time they leave practice, they're as tired as if they've ever, you know, if they ran five or six, ten of those at the end of practice. You know, so that – Well, what, what that does, it sounds like, is, is it's just – you're working on, 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 on both. It's not like the, the running necessarily is some separate thing that doesn't have any like basketball tie into it. It, it all ties into a basketball skill or something that they would actually be using on the court. Exactly. Um, and, and another one we do, like I said, that just, I mean, that's our first, you know, six minutes of, of a drill. And then we'll go into running our fast break. Mm -hmm. We'll run it without defense and make sure everybody knows, you know, and instead of taking those shots, we'll run all, through all the options and exhaust it all the way through. And then, you know, then we'll add in defense and we'll do three possessions, um, offense, defense. So, like, you know, the rebounding team gets the ball, goes down on offense. And, you know, so you got one team transitioning in defense. you got one trying to run their break. And you play it live for three possessions. And, again, uh, just simulating what, what they got to do in the game and, you know, just getting the kids familiar with each other and their abilities it allows us to play that way. Is that something, what you mentioned about is about, you know, players being in the best position to, you know, do their, do their skill set. And, you know, if you have a really good, like lights out shooter, like during the game, that, that expectation is, you know, that player should be shooting maybe instead of necessarily driving the basketball is that something that is kind of explicitly 
talked about during practice? Is that just something that the girls you think just sort of like pick up on and see the tendencies as you're running things through in practice? How much is kind of explicitly sort of talked about and how much is just sort of understood through the course of what you're running through pra in practice? I don't believe in secrets. Um, yeah. I know a lot of coaches will meet with their players, you know, separate and be like, hey, listen, I need you to do this or I need you to do that. Mm -hmm. I, I tell mine in front of the whole team, like, listen, you're the best kid out here. You got to take at least 20 shots a game. We're going to have a chance to win. You got to take 20. Everybody understands she's taking 20 shots and we got to get her her 20 shots. Or, you know, I need, you know, 20 points just out of the post. It doesn't have to be from an individual per se, but as a collective group, 20 points has to come here. You know, so when yeah. they, they, I tell them, you know, that that's just how I coach. I, I tell them, you know, listen, you, you've not got that, you know, that drive isn't yours and, or you, you shoot so well behind the three point line. Why wouldn't you take that open shot, you know? And, and the whole team knows, Hey, listen, this kid, she shoots it as, as good as or if not better than every one of you all we got to get her a shot <laughs> yeah and, and they know it as well so you know and, and, and what I love to hear is when you know like my best player is probably again she could go out and she could shoot it 40 times a game and score 40 a game but she doesn't do that she wants to get her teammates involved her last folly game 18 points 18 re or eight rebounds and eight assists I mean, mm -hmm. she played out of her mind. She she wants to have everybody involved. But she went up to one of her post players in practice and said, listen, that, that's your jump shot right there. There's a free throw line. Like, we, they hit her on, like, a pick and pop, but it was just right to the free throw area. And, like, right in her wheelhouse, like, you don't ever miss that. Why don't you take that shot? And, just, you know, players tell each other and encourage each other. Um, that's It's a great thing to have. And that, that speaks a lot, I think, to the, the type of uh, team – openness and the level of open communication that it sounds like you and your staff have with your players where, you know, everything is just kind of out there in the open and, and players understand each other's strengths and, and, and they know what's expected. And, and like you said, you're not necessarily having to like pull players aside and kind of having these separate side conversations. It's kind of all out there and, you know, nobody's going to say that you aren't transparent. That's for sure. Oh, and you know, it's, it's probably, it might get looked down on by some people, but <laughs> even in practice, like I'll take the two best guards and be like, all right, you're on separate teams, pick. And, you know, they're like, well, what are we doing? I think, well, I'm not going to tell you what we're doing. It, it might be a shooting competition. And they want to load their team up with the best shooters or it mm. might be a five on five situation and they're trying to put their best lineup or, you know, but when they start picking players and you're not the first pick and you're the last pick, you, you it tells you, I mean, again, it might not be the the nicest thing, but it lets you know as a player where you stand in everybody else's mind as well. I mean, mm. it's not just that, you know, and again, I don't know that that's always the, the nicest thing. A lot of times I try to have a lot of them picked out and just split up evenly. But Well, I, I, it sounds like your players – or at least the culture of, of your program is to the point where like they can handle that. It doesn't seem like from, from what you said, like it creates a lot of like infighting or a lot of like frustration with your team. It seems like your, your players understand that like, this is how it goes and, and, and they're not necessarily taking it like personal, it seems. Right. And, and we've, I've done this at River. It's for you know, 12, this will be year number 13. And, mm -hmm. and as long as I can remember, we've not had any of the infighting. I mean, our kids, 
our kids love each other. It's a sort of a family culture and, you know, they're each other's biggest supporters. Like the kids that didn't get to play a whole lot last year and were on the bench. I mean, they were in every game. I mean, part of the reasons we won some of the games was the, you know, the encouragement they would give the kids that were coming off the floor. You know, they would tell them what they're seeing from the sideline. I mean, they talk to each other. You know, we, you know, Christmas time, we, we have Christmas parties and, you know, decorate gingerbread houses and have competitions. And when it's warm, we're tubing. And these kids, they like to be around each other. And so I, I feel like we've built that kind of culture to where we can coach them as hard as we coach mm-hmm. them. Um, you know, I've, every kid that's on my team right now, I've watched grow up through our programs, through our junior programs. I've been to their games and watched them play when they was in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. You know, they – know how much we care about them and they know that you know we get on to everybody even like I say if you're player number 12 on the bench and you're not seeing the floor I guarantee you've got your butt shoot out of practice a time or two because we care about you um, and we want to see you get better we want to see you make the improvements to be up on to get on the floor um, and so I, I, I think the kids know and understand that and they like I said know and understand their roles and accept their roles and they know what's expected out of the kids in the higher roles. Yeah. And, you know, because again, it's something we discuss at practice openly amongst all of them. And, you know, and, and as you mentioned of how many years you've been at your program, that expectation is, is, is really just kind of baked in there because of how long you've been there. And, and that certainly is just, you know, led to players understanding before they even walk in the door how things go and 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 it's really awesome that there hasn't really been any of that infighting and things have been uh staying pretty positive and upbeat and I, I think that's awesome um something else I was curious about is talked a little bit about the conditioning and, and the amount of work that your players do in practice and a little bit about mentally uh staying sharp but in terms of your rotation uh by being by playing fast on both ends do you run a smaller rotation and just need those girls to, to be ready to go physically and mentally the whole time? Do you go into your bench? What, what's kind of your rotation? I'm sure it does change year for year, but in general, what, what sort of rotation do you t- tend to run during a game? Typically, we play about seven or eight players. That's, that's about all we've played the last few years. Um, that's actually going to change this year. I said we have an amazing, amazing, amazing incoming freshman class. Yeah. The, you know, my biggest concern in the offseason is we graduated our point guard, um, you know, four-year starter, just floor general. I don't have to call out plays. She sees it. She gets us into everything. And the worry is how, how do we replace that point guard? You know, option one, take our best player on the team and move her to point guard, which is kind of what we're, we've done. But we have, we have a freshman that's coming in skill-wise that I think as a freshman, she is – every bit as good as the senior that just graduated. And she's just a freshman. And, uh, you know, she's already drawn interest from a lot of mid-majors as a freshman. Um, Mm -hmm. The last fall league game, she scored 20. She had four threes. I mean, she's like her jump shot. And reading defenses and, you know, they went under coach, so I stepped back and shot three. I'm like, perfect. And she made it. And, (laughs) you know, she's the one that, you know, this year she will – she will be on the opposite of where that point guard is. So when that point guard drives her side, you got to make a choice. Are you mm-hmm. going to help off the shooter, which she's going to knock down a three. She's not going to be intimidated at that shot, and she's going to shoot it, and she's going to hit it probably 
at a 40% or better? Or do you stay tight on her and try to go one-on-one -on -one against our guard that's, you know, again, she, she's the real deal. Yeah. Um, and then if are you going to slide with the help from the post players because she'll she'll she has no issue giving it up to the to the post to let them score around the basket um it's gonna pick your poison at that point pick your poison so i th you know it, it's it's a great problem to have but i got sure. 12, i've got i've got 12 kids this year that can play like and trying to figure out how to play and can we get all 12 out there because if you split your team, I mean, I think I can evenly split them and, you know, one of the big six-footers on each side and put my two best guards, one on each side. I, I put my two lefty shooters, one on each side. And, you know, I, I think I can, you know, the two post play or four guards that are guard, post, whatever you want to call them, they can shoot or they can post up, put them on opposite. I, I can go five and five and use the other two as, like, if any guard gets a – foul you're the guard sub for the guard if any post gets a foul you're the sub for the post mm -hmm. I mean we are way deep and just be like all right this group you got three minutes this group's coming in and we're just going to run people I mean yeah. is that the style that we go and just go the platooning action or you know but yeah. typically, typically we've done like I said seven or eight um you know one of the crazy stats from last year is I was looking, our three post players that we played last year, they all played within an average of 30 seconds of each other for a game. Like one had 20 minutes, wow. 30 seconds. One had 19 minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> the other had 20 minutes and 15 seconds. I mean, they all played with it. And it wasn't by design. It's just how we rotated our kids. Just ended up that way, huh? Yeah. My job is to, to coach during the game. I'll coach whoever's on the floor. My assistants are the ones that are grabbing kids, resting kids, and looking for, hey, so-and-so's getting tired. Let's get somebody in there for them. Um, so, again, I trust my assistants. I have great assistant coaches. And uh, so they're putting the kids out there and, you know, knowing what their abilities are. I think that's the job of a coach is to put everybody in their best position mm -hmm. to use what, you know, they're good at to try to go win games. Yeah, and – it's, it sounds like it's a perfect compliment, you know, if the, the coaches are, are working on that and your staff is working on that, and then you're very open about players' roles and that they understand why they're being put into certain situations. It sounds like players on your team understand when they're, when they're getting on the court, like obviously in terms of whole team concepts, what's expected of them, but also on an individual basis. All right, I know that I'm here in this particular position because like coach wants or expects or needs me to make sure that I'm doing this on the court. At least that's the sense that I am I getting. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how we go. Yeah. No, that's, I, I, I think that there's so much clarity <laughs> involved in that system that, that, that helps, that helps a lot. Um, you talked a little bit about um, physical preparation. Uh, I did want to touch a little bit more on just sort of like mental preparation for, for your players is there more to keeping your players like mentally sharp so they're not making mental mistakes at the end? Or are your players, because they know their roles and they know what's expected of them, that there's not those mental lapses that exist in those late game situations when they've been running up and down the whole game? How has your team been able to kind of stay mentally sharp so that they're still executing down the stretch? Uh, I typically hold on to my timeouts to the fourth quarter and I hold them for that reason. Now, 
again, if, if a team gets on a run early or whatever you need to do to try to slow momentum, you got to use them when you got to use them. But I, I, I typically save all of them for the fourth quarter, try to rest the legs a little bit in the fourth quarter with timeouts. And again, if we're in a situation where we're up six, there's two minutes to go. Now's where we got to slow down. You know, th that's, you know, let's, let's take our time. You know, again, I have a con or one or two continuity offenses that we can run over and they just turn over and over and over again. And we can kill as much clock as we need. Um, but, you know, so I, I think there is something to that. And looking back over our stats, our, our point production does fall a little bit in the fourth quarter. Um, mm -hmm. And and it may be because we've ran out of gas a little bit by the time we get there. Uh, but the thing is, the other team is too. Yeah. Like we've, we've put it on them so much through the course of the game that you, you're now, you know, for the most part last year, we were playing – well, we were playing one of two ways. We were up about 30 in the fourth quarter or we were down 30 in the fourth quarter because <laughs> when two of our losses last year, we lost to uh, Marietta, which you had Coach DeWitt on back in March before his Final Four. He went mm -hmm. on one state championship, by the way. Um, yeah, we, we were down. We were down big to them in a Christmas tournament. Um, again, we were missing some kids, but it is what it is. And then uh, other big loss came to Westlake in the Final Four, which went on to win the Geico National Championship. So they, you know, we were down pretty big there as well. And it, um, but typically we're up, and so even if we are making those mistakes, you, you got a little bit of cushion. Yeah. You sort of put yourself in a position where if you're being executed and, and being really successful in the beginning, you're probably, and you can speak to this, probably mentally have, have kind of worn that other team down just as much, hopefully a lot more because they're just, they're right. sometimes you, like, like you kind of mentioned, you're kind of blowing the doors off the gym in the beginning and they're, they're mentally a lot more fatigued than you are, even if your players are, are maybe physically tired, that they, they might be emotionally and mentally uh, on the ropes, so to speak. Right. And, and you know, that's the case, but, and, and they, and they are, and like I said, you, you're running out of gas, but they ran out of gas a long time ago. Um, but then again, you find yourself in those kind of games where you, you can't press, you know, mm -hmm. like the, the team that Marietta beat in the state championship, uh, we beat them earlier in the season, but they have one of the best guards in the state of Georgia on their team. And, you know, uh, it was a game where we couldn't press them. It was a matter of we got back, we played half-court defense, and it was just a back-and-forth game all the way through. And, you know, both teams in the end are mentally exhausted. And, mm -hmm. and I think, I think it, it, they just kind of wear themselves down equally. Yeah. But again, timeouts and those kind of things help you along the way, especially, you know, you got about five minutes worth of timeouts sitting in your pocket. Yeah, I, I wanted to just touch on that a little bit more because obviously, as we talked about, your ideal situation is playing fast on both ends. But what are some keys or what are some signals to you that that indicate like, OK, we're going to have to slow things down and, and we're going to have to pull back a little bit? Are there certain things you think? coaches should be aware of maybe newer younger coaches who haven't you know maybe have a lot of experience that would indicate like okay I know you want to play fast on both ends but here are some signs that you're going to have to slow things down or you're going to be in trouble yeah I mean the thing is if you're still playing fast if there's two minutes to go in a game and you're <laughs> up six or eight points and you're still trying to play fast and 
now the, you shot real quick, first pass you shot, you don't get a rebound. Well, honestly, that's about the same as a turnover. You just gave it right back to the other team and you're giving them a chance to get back in the game. So you got to understand late game situation. Um, I think as a coach, you, you just, you know, you got your eyes on everything as the game's going on. Like that game I was just telling you about with Woodstock. Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're sitting here talking about playing fast, but there was a period of that game for the last six minutes of that game, we held the basketball. And I had no intentions of holding the basketball yeah. for six minutes. I kid you not. The, beginning of fourth quarter, we're up about 12. And for some, I don't know how it worked out, but we ended up in a four-corner look. Like the post just hadn't fully made it down the floor. The point guard was dead center. My wings were all the way down in the corner. And we looked like we're in a four-corner set. And they are played up tight on everybody. And my point guard drives the ball, gets an easy layup. I was like, okay. (laughs) So the next possession, they go down, they shoot, they miss. We call a timeout. In the timeout, I said, hey, listen, we're going to go four-corner Harrison. And we have two different four-corners. One, Harrison High School, they play us. We just came out of region with them. And they would go four corners at any point in the game just to spread you out to try to score. If you mm-hmm. – they, they drive, you help in, they kick out, they shoot threes. They shoot about 30 a game. And this is how they play. They use the four corners to spread you to, to get easy shots. And then we've got four-corner Creekview, which is another region team. And they, they're ahead and they're going to hold the ball and they're going to stall as long as possible. Yeah. With what I seen on the floor, I was like, hey, we're going to go four corner Harrison. We're going to spread them out. We're going to get easy looks. Well, the next thing you know, we don't go four corner Harrison. We go four corner creep view and we held the ball for three minutes. <laughs> I mean, you're up 12 and all of a sudden you Man, just, yeah. now there's, there's two and a half minutes left to go in the quarter because you just held the ball for three minutes before you took a shot and then come back down the next possession after we rebounded and did the same thing again. And, you know, you got fans booing at you, this ain't basketball, but it was something that worked. And again, it wasn't something that we intentionally tried, but it was something that worked. And um, so playing, you just got to play with what your kids are capable of doing. And our kids were able to take care of the basketball. So if we want to kill it, we can. Yeah. And, and that's a good point to to mention is you might be in these situations where you like to play fast and play up and down but then you know like you said taking that time to talk to your players like well let's understand the situation that we're in would it would it make sense for us to be doing this right now or do we have the personnel is able to hold the ball and also if you don't have a shot clock I feel like that also adds a whole new wrinkle to things too but if, if kind of can maintain that discipline and understand that it sounds like you're trying to play a certain way to, to get up to a certain lead and get to a certain point. And then maybe once you've reached that point, well, now we're playing a, a different type of basketball to kind of secure that sort of lead. Yeah. I mean, again, that's, it's, that's just coaching basketball. And, yep. you know, you got to do what you got to do to put your team in the best situation to win. Yeah. And understanding what your kids are capable of doing. I, I mean, I've had teams in the past, I don't like to go four corner spread and stall because we can't take care of the basketball good enough. And, yeah. I've been there you know, too. <laughs> I mean, and, and part of taking the first best shot that we get or, you know, within your skill set, what you're comfortable of, of doing and creating and, and on the offensive end, you know, that helps you get there. I mean. Yeah. Um, For sure. 
another another quick question here before we start to wrap up that I'm that I'm also interested from a coaching perspective. When you're playing fast on both ends as a coach on the sidelines, there, there could potentially be a lot of stuff going on. There's uh, a lot of transition, a lot of up up and down and back and forth. And and so I'm curious, especially for somebody like yourself who's done this for for a while, how do you as a coach and your coaching staff kind of stay on top of things and make sure that you're noticing a lot of the different things that are going on when when sometimes the game is just looking like a track meet going back and forth really quickly well it's also important to get player input in, in that as well like what when you pull a kid out and you talk to them like what are you seeing out there yeah you know why why did you go with that as opposed to doing something else you know why are you i mean what why are you making the decision you're making what are you seeing and then let the players tell you what they see you know um mm. And and then using that to help adjust, hey, you know, she just said that this girl every time down is, you know, three-quarter front in her, but we haven't caught it as coaches. If we'll just have her slip and spin and seal, we got a back door and, you know, put her back in, tell her to do that, boom, easy layup. And you're like, all right, maybe as coaches we didn't see it because we're looking at other things, but players can, you know, definitely fill you in if you'll just listen to them. Again, you're talking 16, 17, 18-year-old kids, typically 15 maybe. Um, with We're playing some freshmen. So yeah, 15, you're year, some 15. <laughs> 15 to 18-year-old kids, but they've played basketball and they play year-round. I mean, that's the thing with my kids that, you know, we work out in the mornings, four-on-ones. We work out after school, conditioning and lifting. And then they go see their trainers at night and they get up even more shots and work their skills. And, you know, currently we're playing in a fall league, but, you know, all summer long, they either played with us or they played with their AAU team. All spring long, they played with their AAU team when your season was over. These kids play hundreds and hundreds of games mm -hmm. every year. Yes. And and they they learn the game and you know like i said they train year round so they 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 know what they're talking about too and it really helps when you got kids that are that in tune to the game and as as you mentioned it's a really good point especially if you have players who are playing a bunch of AAU they're playing club they they see the game and have so much experience being on the court that they can communicate a lot of information to you from all of the experience that they've acquired and they exactly. have to notice things that you can because they're the ones playing. And it sounds like you've really built that sort of open form of communication. We had talked about it earlier, that open form of communication where players know if they bring something up or they answer your question that you're going to actually <laughs> value their input and, and apply what their input is and, and that you value and need to be hearing what, they, what they're seeing on the court. Yeah, I mean, you can't ever be – so cocky as a coach to think you know everything. I mean, my hardest, most difficult year was that very first year. I didn't have any assistance, and I was playing with ninth and eighth graders that didn't have yeah. a, a bunch of experience. You know, I was fortunate enough that the guy's coach was, you know, he was in about year 28 or 29 of coaching. Our athletic director was a retired basketball coach of 30 years. So I, you surround yourself with – people that know the game, uh, mm -hmm. you're always, you got to, you know, if you don't know something, like I struggled so bad that first year. I had no idea what offense to run against the one three one zone. I could not figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
sat down with guys coach, sat down with the athletic director and like, listen, you guys are basketball coaches. How can I do this? I know I'm supposed to be the coach. I'm supposed to have the answers, but I don't. And, uh, you know, you got to exhaust all your resources, whether it's your assistants, yeah. it's your players, you know, it's the hours that you film or spend studying the film and, you know, other scouting reports from other coaches. Hey, what'd you do that worked? What you didn't do? I mean, is there something that you would do differently the next time? You know, just those kind of things and take every advantage that you can as a coach to, I mean, if you really want to put your kids in the best position to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Could, couldn't state that any better. Uh, to wrap up, Coach, there's a couple questions that I ask every guest. We'll go ahead and get started here with this first one. Uh, looking back on your coaching career, what is a coaching moment of yours that you think others listening would be able to learn from? Never count a team out. Um, that second year we were open, um, again, just freshmen and sophomores, same kids I'd had the previous year. By the end of the season, I mean, we were playing to get to, you know, getting ready to go in the region tournament. Um we were down nine with a minute to go. You don't come back from being down nine with a minute to go, but we came back and won that game. Um, I won't go into all the details of it. We ain't got time for it, but we came back. We won that game. That yeah. team was in a three-way tie going into that game for first place in our region. The first time we played them, they had beat us by 30 or so. Um, the, so the fast forward to the first game of the region tournament, we're playing a team that, combined two games that beat us 60-plus points in the regular season. We found ourselves down one with seven seconds to go, a ball under our basket, and they were in a 2-3 zone. We called a timeout and ran a play where we threw the ball off the girls' back on the inbound and put it in for a layup. <laughs> by, the time they, by the time they realized what happened, there was only a couple seconds. Their half-court heave on the inbounds didn't go in, and, you know, we knocked off the other one seed. Um so never count a team out. I mean, with a team that had a losing record, we ended up making the state tournament. And, you know, we've made the state tournament all but three years of the you know, previous 12 that we've been there. So just don't don't count your teams out and and have confidence that you're in and what you're doing. Yeah. That, you know, you're going to be peaking when you want to be peaking and playing your best basketball at the end of the season. So um, that was that was pro that's probably one of the biggest that's things. Awesome. Yeah, I would I would love to have seen that moment. I, I could imagine what that must have looked like in, in the gym, seeing that. It was, well, I mean, it, and it wasn't, it was something I almost called earlier in the game because like I said they were in a 2-3 and the, yeah. their back row never seen the ball come in bounds. They, they were just facing out against, the, you know, who they were having to defend. They never, so I yeah. almost called it earlier in the game. And we had that's something that the girl taking the ball out of bounds had done a few times throughout the season when it was there. You know, they always had that opportunity to do it if it's there. And, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I called a timeout and I said, This is what we're going to do. And they all kind of looked at me as like, It's wide open. So I just scooted the ball side post player back a little bit to give a little bit of room, brought the other offside post player from the block into the middle, calling for the ball, which drew the middle of the defense. You know, and yeah. it was it was wide open. Yeah, so, that's trust your I mean, players to make plays. And yeah, and your players trusted you, and they they bought in, and and things like that can can happen when that sort of situation and climate has been established and culture in, in your program. That's phenomenal. 
And to wrap up, Coach, I give every guest what I call a 60-second soapbox. Feel free to go longer, though. Uh, your platform to get out your final thought, <laughs> closing message, a closing idea, just something that you would want to leave the listeners with. So, uh, Coach, I'm going to go ahead and turn the floor over to you, and you can take it away. Uh, I guess it's something I said earlier, but uh, especially for the newer coaches listening, uh, go to as many clinics as possible and, and learn the game from, you know, the, the veterans that's been there for a while. Trust who you surround yourself with um, and surround yourself with, with great, a great coaching staff. Um, listen to your players, you know, develop relationships with your players. And that's the biggest thing, I think, what allows us to be as successful as we've been is the relationships that we have as coaches with our kids and our teammates, the, the, the relationships that they develop. So I just think those are the biggest things to coaching is, Again, at the end of the day, we're, we're playing a game, and this is a game that's supposed to be fun. And if the kids aren't having any fun, then there's not really a point to being out there. So even in the years where we've had, you know, our teams weren't as great, we still had fun. Our, our kids still, you know, loved each other. They treated each other like family. We still have our outings and get-togethers. We have our pregame meals at players' houses and, you know, our kids, they got to enjoy um, being there. And one of the biggest things that I've, <laughs> I was told by, actually my assistant coach came up with this. Mm -hmm. He said, girls have to have fun in order to win. Guys need to win in order to have fun. That was kind of the difference in, in how, you know, his, his take on everything. And, mm -hmm. and I fully believe in that. If your kids are, especially on the girls side, if they're having fun, there ain't anything that they wouldn't do for you. And, you know, as far as the effort that they're giving you, it's something that we don't ever have to coach is effort. Kids, yeah. our kids give it. So, and when you can get your kids to buy into giving everything they got and laying it all out there for each other, you know, good things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, we've seen that this past season. No, that's a really interesting insight that you had there. And and as somebody who coaches girls, I, I can agree that the, the best teams that I've coached are ones that have had a lot of fun and really, really enjoyed the process of playing basketball, being with each other. And, and, and that led to a lot of on-court success. So I, I think that's a really interesting insight that you shared. Uh, Coach Taylor, I want to thank you for spending some time talking about your program, talking about playing fast on both ends, your team culture, what your practices look like. A lot of good insights that we can kind of take from that. And I feel like from our conversation, I, I'm going to want to watch some game film of you. And I want to see your, your team play and see what that looks like. It sounds like a fun brand of basketball. So, Coach, thank you so much for joining us and uh, best of luck this season. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and hopefully it helps somebody out. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure it will. This is great. And thank you all for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We'll see you guys next. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.